you to take your Bibles now, if you would please, and open them to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 6. Last week we finished up our study in the book of Philippians, and I, I do believe that that was a very profitable study. I, I really do like the method that we have of uh, studying the Bible, uh, taking the books of the Bible just chapter by chapter and verse by verse, just taking off in the very first verse of the first chapter, working our way all the way through, from through every verse all the way down to the end of the chapter. And I think that's the way that we ought to teach the Bible. I think it's the very best way to preach from the Bible. Uh, I think it's a whole lot better than a topical approach where you skip around to different things. And I found out that we really don't need to take a topical approach because, as I've told you before, by the time we get through one of uh, these books of the Bible, we've talked about a lot of different doctrines, a lot of different topics, and the Word of God spreads these things around throughout the Bible so that we can uh, learn uh, most of the time, even from one book, all the major doctrines that are found in the Word of God. Now, in the next few weeks, I'm going to uh, start another book of the Bible, but what I've been faced with here for the next three weeks is a kind of a hectic schedule. Next week, uh, Brother David Dickerson will be with us, and he'll be preaching on Wednesday evening. And then for the next two Wednesday nights, I'm going to be out of town uh, attending a conference down in Southern California. So rather than start uh, a new book of the Bible tonight and then have to break it off and wait a long time until we could start again, I decided that I would preach a couple of messages from another portion of Scripture that's not in the regular study. And so I'm taking the text tonight from Jeremiah chapter 6, and I want to use this as a starting place to talk to you about uh, some old paths. And by that I mean some doctrines that we simply cannot give up on. And that's not to say that there are some doctrines that we can give up on, uh, that some of them aren't really very important to us, because I believe that all of our doctrines are important. But there are certain things that do have higher priority, and um, there are things that are non-negotiable. And we say that if anyone disagrees with this, us on these particular doctrines, then we just can't put up with that. But there are other doctrines that are and things that we practice and believe that are somewhat preferential, and so we may find a little bit of disagreement on those things, but it shouldn't upset the fellowship of the church. And I hope it doesn't upset you, because if you find something that is a non-essential element and it upsets you so badly that you just can't get through it, then you need to take a step back and you need to find out what's wrong with your heart. Because we are simply not going to find uh, absolute agreement on everything that we teach. And the only people that really do that are our people that are in brainwashed cults. And if you go there, then everybody's just the same and everybody believes exactly alike. But we might have a few things where we differ on, and, and that's okay, uh, as long as we're right down the line, I think, on the essentials of God's Word. But there are certain doctrines that are foundational, and they're truths that you can't set aside, and if you do, they actually affect the gospel itself. They can change things so that you really don't have the truth of the word, you don't have a true gospel. Now, these are the kinds of things that I want to talk to you about for uh, two messages, and if you want to refer to them as the fundamentals of the faith, that's okay, as long as you remember that some people's fundamentals are not other people's fundamentals. So there might be some things that you think that I ought to leave out, and there might be some things that you think I should have included. And when it's all said and done, we might be at each other's throats anyway. 
But what we're going to try to do is seek to find some agreement on these essential doctrines of God's Word. And uh, if we can substantiate what we have to say by the Word of God, if we're speaking the truth, then we all should be in agreement. So let's look at this scripture in Jeremiah chapter 6. Just stand with me, if you would, please, as we read God's Word. And we're going to start here at verse number 8. Jeremiah 6, verse number 8. Be thou instructed, O Israel, lest my soul depart from thee, lest I make thee desolate, a land not inhabited. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall thoroughly glean the remnant of Israel as a vine. Turn back thine hand as a grape gatherer into the baskets. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. Therefore, I am full of the fury of the Lord. I am weary with holding in. I will pour it out upon the children abroad and upon the assembly of the young men together. For even the husband with the wife shall be taken, the aged with him that is full of days. And their houses shall be turned unto others with their fields and wives together. For I will stretch out my hand upon the inhabitants of the land, saith the Lord. For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, every one is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, every one dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of, my, uh, hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they blush. Therefore, they shall fall among them that fall. At the time that I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Stand ye in the ways, and see, and ask for the old paths, where is the good way, and walk therein. And ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for each one who's come here tonight to hear your word. And we just ask you, Lord, that you'd uh, be with us as we open up this text tonight and begin to talk about some uh, doctrines of the faith that are essential to us. And Lord, we just pray that you'd bless our study. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. may be seated. As always, when we look into the word of God, we need to be... uh, concerned about the context of a passage. We always want to establish the context, and we don't ever want to be guilty of isolating the Scriptures and just pulling something out that we would use for our own purposes. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on the text that we're talking about here. Uh, This is God giving warning to his people. And the scene of this Scripture is the southern portion of Israel. This is in the divided kingdom of Judah, which actually, of course, is made up of Judah and Benjamin. The northern kingdom of Israel, which was the other ten tribes, they had been taken into captivity by the Assyrians about a hundred years before the time that this passage was written. And so here we are looking at Judah and Jerusalem, and they are also facing a very grave danger. And the most significant danger that they were facing was not one that would be from an opposing army. Uh, They weren't so much... Uh, They didn't need to be so much worried about what Babylon was going to do, what the armies of the world would do. The ones that they were in danger of was God. That's who they needed to keep their eye on because God is the one who was about to chastise them. So the armies of Nebuchadnezzar, they were in the hands of God and they could never do anything without God's permission. And so God is directing this and here he is about to use Babylon as a means of chastisement. And so God had given the people a warning, and he had given them space to repent. And if you look at this and study it out, it's it's really hardly imaginable how 
how many atrocities that Judah had had gone into, the idolatry they were in, the sins they were in. Uh, Jerusalem itself had become a place of idolatry. And it wasn't by accident. It wasn't something that the people just wandered off into not knowing what they were doing, but they were being led by the priests and the prophets. In verse number 10 of this chapter, Jeremiah wonders, who's going to hear the word of the Lord? Who's going to pay attention to what I have to say? Because the place was overrun from top to bottom with people that had filled themselves with sin. So much as the word says here that the truth of God's word, hearing God's word as it was spoken, meant nothing to the people at all. And in verse number 13, he says that the prophets and the priests weren't any better. They had dealt falsely with the people. They preached that there was, no, that there was peace and everything that would be okay. And they'd just go on like they would and, and nobody's going to care. Uh, they were warned about destruction, but the people wouldn't hear. And the priests and the prophets were far more concerned about their own popularity. They were concerned about giving the people exactly what they wanted, rather than calling them back to repentance with God. Now, at this point is where we need to update the story just a little bit. Uh, There are passages in the Old Testament where uh, we can apply certain things as general principles and warnings to us as well. And the Apostle Paul told us that over in the book of 1 Corinthians. He says in chapter 10 there, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So what was it that God said would bring these people back? What is it they need to do? Well, we find that in the 16th verse where God says, Stand ye in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where is the good way and walk therein, and ye shall find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk therein. Now, I believe that there's no question that preachers today are guilty of some of the very same kinds of transgressions that caused Judah finally to go into captivity in Babylon. They're preachers who have abandoned the old paths of doctrine, and they've done it for their own benefit. Some have done it for their popularity, some for their own personal prosperity. And I think many times they have purposely led people away, and the truth of the Word of God has suffered for it, and the result of that is a wasteland of apostate Christianity. I remember when uh, Bob and Bronwyn Staden first came to Berean that uh, they came into my office and Bob said, he says, for many years we have been victims of sloppy theology. And I didn't know at first what he meant by that, but as we talked a little bit further, what he was saying was that he'd been in churches where the truth of the scriptures really no longer mattered anymore. Church is a social place. Church is a place where we get together. It's a place where we can assuage a a few feelings of guilt, and we can feel like we're doing a little service for humanity and helping them out a little bit. And the way that we do it is that we first please ourselves, and we make our religion out to be what we want it to be, and then we go out there and spread a little bit of that self-gratifying cheer to other people. And I see that all the time. A few months ago, I had an interview with a family that was interested in becoming members of Berean. And I sat in the office for about 20 or 25 minutes, and I was going over with them the doctrinal positions of the church. I I talked to them about personal faith in Christ. I spoke of the need for scriptural baptism. I questioned them about their personal commitment to the church. And when I was done, I said, now, do you have any questions for me? And the husband sat there for just a moment with his eyes kind of glazed over. 
And then he asked me an all-important, dramatic, non-negotiable, intense question. He said, do you have a softball team? I really like to play softball. And that's the kind of thing that I'm speaking of. Churches have produced Christians that when they come to church, the very first thing that's on their mind is what about the recreation of the church? What about the ball team that you have? What about the music? That's the thing that's going to attract me to the church. What about all the social activities that you have going on? And it's really refreshing to sit down in the office with someone who says we have been victims of sloppy theology and we know that we need to make a change. Now, I don't hear so much of that anymore, and and so I say if you're interested in doctrine and if you're interested in finding out how you can glorify God with your life and you're interested in hearing something preached that's not the drivel of fulfilling a self-imagined purpose, then the thing that you need to do is stick right here at Berean Baptist Church and come and let us teach you from the Word of God. And let's learn what's important from God's Word that's really going to help us. But here is the problem with Judah. The old paths were no longer good for them. And so they wanted to go off in a different way. There was something that tasted a little bit better to them. They didn't like the bitter herbs of of self-sacrifice and complete dedication to God. They didn't want to serve God alone. They had their own way to go. So the question I think that we need to ask is, what paths could Jeremiah be talking about? What kinds of things are going to help us to button down sloppy theology and take all the wiggle room out of it? What is it that's going to help us to stay the course and to go away which will help us to know God and what God wants us to do for him? So what are those paths? We're going to discuss a couple of these tonight and then next time, which... It's actually going to be about a month away from tonight. Uh, we'll get the second part of the message. But this, is, this, this kind of message, that really doesn't matter because we're talking about different doctrines here. So cutting into two is not going to hurt us so much. But the first one that I want to talk to you about tonight is the old path of declaration. There's a phrase that we find over 400 times in Scripture that's very important. I'm not going to... Uh, read you all 400 occurrences of it, but I am going to read just one, and this is representative of the other ones. In Haggai chapter 1, verse 7, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. And the phrase that occurs 400 times in Scripture is this, Thus saith the Lord. Now what I hold in my hands here tonight is one great big, Thus saith the Lord. Now the Bible is how God speaks to us today. You're not going to hear an audible voice uh, from God. You needn't expect that God is going to appear in your bedroom at night and talk to you. And you needn't think that the angels are going to come and the clouds are going to roll back and they're going to give you some uh, angelic message that you need to heed. If you want to understand, thus saith the Lord, then the place to go is to the pages of the Bible. And if you hear anything that is contrary to the pages of Scripture, if you hear another revelation, if someone has a divination or if they have a tongue or they have a prophecy or they have a thought that is new to, in addition to, or different from what's written in this Word of God, the Bible, it is not, thus saith the Lord. And so the old path that we have to walk in is one that you should know very well, which is that infallible, verbal, plenary inspiration of God's Word. What we have is God's revelation to man. In the Bible is everything that we need to know about God in the present time, everything that he wants us to know. Here is where we find the the things that God wants us to know about how things work, the things that you ought to do, how to respond to God. It's all found in the pages of the Bible. It is the path of the declaration of Almighty God. But it's also a path that many people have said, 
we will not walk therein. Now, as you look once again at our text in Jeremiah 6, I want you to notice again verse number 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ear is uncircumcised, and they cannot hearken. Behold, the word of the Lord is unto them a reproach. They have no delight in it. And isn't that same thing true in churches today? The delight of the people is no longer in the word of God. There's something else that people would rather substitute for God's word. And I'm always puzzled by that. I mean, I'm always wondering about this. How can you conduct church? How could you have Christianity? How can you ever do that without actually opening up the Bible, reading from God's Word, and seeking to know the truths that God has for us? How can you do that? But all across our city, across America, that ostensibly calls itself a Christian nation, the Bible may never even be opened in church on Sunday morning. There is no scripture that's read. And if the preacher does decide that he's going to do a little bit of a homily on some biblical topic, he calls it, and does read a scripture, usually by the time he gets done, it has no meaning at all or no bearing on the scripture that he's just read. Now, Jesus complained about these kinds of things when he spoke to the Pharisees. Now, it was a little bit different with them. At least they did have the word of God. They had the scrolls, and they were reading from them, but they were interpreting everything the wrong way. Now, that's, of course... What we've studied in the Sermon on the Mount, as we've been looking through that. In, in Matthew chapter 15, verse 9, Jesus complains against them, and he says, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And this is what we find in churches nearly every Sunday morning, that there is singing that goes on, there is praying that goes on, the services open up pretty much like they do here, but when it comes time to preach, the message that's brought is not the message of God's holy word. And instead, what they have done is to substitute for it different doctrines and things that are the commandments of men. And much of the time, you don't even have to wait to hear what's said from the pulpit. Because if you sit there and you watch a woman mount the pulpit with her little clerical collar on, you don't even have to wait to see what's said. Because the action speaks louder than the words, that that is a church that has no intention of walking in the old path of God's declaration. And so what they've done is they put in something new, something in there that's not in the Scriptures, and it's not God-approved. And whenever you have a priest or a preacher who would direct you to a confessional, or someone that says you have to step into the waters of baptism, and they take you to the baptismal font, they have no intention of walking in the path of God's declaration. And when you go into a church that, that has a rocket atmosphere with pounding music and nightclub entertainment, that is a church that has long ago lost the path that they were walking, the right path to walk in, if indeed they ever did have it in the beginning. The old path is found in the pages of Scripture, and that alone is sufficient as our guide for faith and practice. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So this is the word of God, and it's declared to be so by Christ and the apostles. And so I wonder, what are we doing wasting our time preaching from anything else, saying anything else, than what we find in the word of God? I don't understand why a preacher would go into a pulpit and think that he could say something that could possibly exceed in value what's found in the Word of God. 
And yet we have people that stand in pulpits and they ignore the words of Scripture. They bring up their own ideas. They have their own doctrines. They have their opinions of many different things. And the question is, where is the prophet in it? If it's not from the Word of God, where is the prophet in it? Paul said to Timothy, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child, he says, from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, what we're talking about here is something that is non-negotiable. We have to find our doctrines in the Bible, and we have to preach those doctrines. That's the old path that we're supposed to walk in, and we dare not move on to something else and think that we have a better idea and try to fit our ideas of what the Bible has to say into what we speak, or that we have this new idea, this newfangled idea about worship is all about, and so we're going to worship God in the way that we want to worship God, rather the way that God says to worship Him. Now, there are several doctrines that I want to talk about in these two messages, and I said sometimes these are called fundamentals of the faith. And that means that they are foundational building blocks for the church, and without these things, the house cannot stand. Well, found inside of this declaration is what I think is a self-evident doctrine, and I've already alluded to it by saying that the Scriptures are plenarily inspired, and what that means is that the Scriptures are a full and, and total revelation of God to man. This is, this is all of it. There isn't anything but this. This is all of God's revelation to man. But there are traditions that have been added by men, and those things are things that are not inspired and are part of Scripture. And so when the Bible talks about faith for salvation, it doesn't mean faith plus traditions equals salvation. Faith alone through grace alone equals salvation according to the Word of God. Now, unfortunately, in the early part of the 20th century, there were those who were very concerned about modernism and higher textual criticism, and certainly should have been. They were worried about how that people were taking uh, the Word of God and saying that it wasn't inspired, and and they were going away from the authority of Scripture, and they said that it's not God-breathed. And so they began to write on those subjects, and they began to uh, try to sway people away from believing the things that the modernists were bringing in. But as they did that, as they were teaching fundamentals of faith in that area, they left out, and they began to put very little emphasis on the probably the primary doctrine of all Scripture, and that is justification by faith alone. And it was a great tragedy, because what it began to do is to weaken the whole movement of fundamentalism. Now, today, a person can be called a fundamentalist and yet not even be clear on the doctrine of salvation, a doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so in the early 20th century, you had preachers like Billy Sunday that couldn't even articulate the doctrine, and yet they were called fundamentalists. And then following in his footsteps, along came Billy Graham, and he became the the preacher to millions of Americans. He became the the preacher for presidents. He became the go-to guy in all matters that were religious. And yet Billy Graham embraced Roman Catholics who deny and curse people, who preach justification by faith alone. And then Graham went even further than that, so that today he now says that faith in Christ is not even needed. 
He says people can believe, and uh, they can believe in what they want to believe. They can be saved by being sincere. As long as they're sincere in their religion uh, and they're true to that, that's okay. And he says it doesn't matter what you believe because it's, it's possible to fit under the umbrella of God's grace because that's big enough to include everybody if you're just sincere in what you believe. And then from there, you had guys like Oral Roberts, who had great influence on the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And he spawned Kenneth Copeland, who doesn't even have a clue about salvation and doesn't even preach a gospel at all. And from there, you get people like Joe Osteen, who Osteen wants to motivate people into heaven with self-help systems. And even the godless have questioned him, where do you find Christ? Where do you find the Bible in your preaching? And then you have Robert Schuller, that, the, the, who said that classical theology is erred by making theology God-centered instead of man-centered. And so here you have all of that stuff out there, all of these preachers that are preaching a humanist religion, and here we are wondering, just like Jeremiah, where are we going to find anyone who hasn't been polluted with such nonsense and who will actually hear the truth? And so you see, the old path has been abandoned. God's Word is no longer the standard. It doesn't matter to people anymore. And so what we have to be is a church that takes the Bible, book by book, chapter by chapter, and verse by verse, and said, this is all that matters. Nothing else matters but this. We won't preach anything else but this. It's all that matters. Because the Bible says this is what makes us wise unto salvation. And so if the purpose of the church is not to glorify God, if it's not the salvation of men, then what you can do is you can save a lot of money in your tithes and offerings, keep all of it, and then you can spend a lot of times on Sundays, whatever you want to do, with your own recreative ideas because there's no need to come to church here. But if the Word of God means something to you and you understand that this is the path that God wants you to be in, then don't be anywhere but here. Bring your Bibles Bring your tithes and your offerings, bring your prayers, bring your worship, and bring them here because the church has very important business to do. Now, Jeremiah says, who's going to hear? And he wasn't a little bit exasperated by this task that God had given them to do. He looked at the people and he saw the sins that they were in, and and he said, what are we going to do about this? Who's going to hear? And sometimes we feel the same way. There's so much junk that's going on that we ask, who is going to hear? Are we just wasting our time here? And I can tell you that we aren't. Because the reason that the world still stands today is because God has some people that he wants to save. And they have to hear the gospel of Christ. And then when the last one is heard and when the last one has believed, then we don't have to worry about them hearing anymore. Because God's going to take us out of here. And then God's going to take care of all the rest. But until then, this church had better stick to the old path of declaration. Preach the word. Be instant in season and out of season. Now, I've taken a lot of time on that first one, so I'm, I'm just going to fit one more in for you tonight. And I don't intend that these things are prioritized by order. The time I spend on each one of them is not an indication of how they are to be ordered. So let me give you one more as we close tonight. And this next one is the old path of deity. And you should recognize this because this is the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, that seems to be so fundamental, doesn't it? Uh, Who is going to argue about this? Where are you going to find Christians that will argue about the deity of Jesus Christ? I mean, how can you have Christianity if Jesus is not God? Well, of course you can't. But that hasn't stopped churches from all over the place from wandering off of this path. A moment ago, I was 
talking about Billy Graham. And you might be surprised that I would say this, but Graham has wandered off the path that Jesus is God. Well, how did he do that? I'm sure if you asked Billy Graham tonight, do you believe that Jesus is God? I think that he would say that he does. But how could you be sincere about that when you tell people that if they will be sincere about what they believe, and and it doesn't matter what you believe, that there are other paths to God, and God's grace and his umbrella is big enough to cover everybody, then how can you say that and not call Jesus Christ a liar? The Bible says God cannot lie. And Jesus is the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so if you say that there is another way, then you've just called Jesus a liar, haven't you? And so he's not God. Now, to put that another way, Paul is wrong about it because he said we have to be found in Christ having his righteousness. Peter said that we have to be washed from our sins in the blood of Christ. You can't get to heaven without having your sins washed away. And that's called the righteousness of God, which is by faith. Faith in what? Faith in Buddha? Faith in Muhammad, Faith in some cow that's walking down the street? Faith in a golden calf that Aaron made? No, folks, what's he talking about? He's speaking of faith in Jesus Christ, the God-man, who is the manifestation of the Father. Faith in the one who is the living Word. And anybody who says that that is not necessary has just thrown the Bible out the window and Jesus along with it. And so they have denied the deity of Jesus Christ. I told you before in an earlier sermon that 59% of Americans today deny the deity of Christ. And they say there are other paths to God. And, of course, that would mean that Christianity could not be one of the paths. Christianity is by nature an exclusive religion. By definition, Christianity could not be one of the paths to God if there are many paths to God because we don't even have God, according to Jesus. So there can't be multiple paths to God. Now, do you see what I mean? Most people today don't have any trouble calling a Mormon a Christian. They don't have any problem calling Jehovah Witnesses Christians, and they're confused about all of that. And those are people that don't even understand who Jesus really is, that he's God. Zoe Sharon gave me a book some time ago that was written by Emmett Fox, and he is uh, one of the persons that was influential in getting Alcoholics Anonymous started, and they recommended his writings. But he denied every essential fundamental of the faith. And he still called himself a Christian. Now, he wrote a book uh, called The Sermon on the Mount. And it's supposed to be an exposition of, of that sermon. And I'll tell you, folks, if he's not in hell right now, eating every word of what he wrote, then there's nobody that's going to be in hell. Now, you see, what we're talking about here is a non negotiable path. You can't get off of this, you can't leave wiggle room in it, you can't be sloppy about it. Jesus said that he was one with the Father. And when he said that, the Jews knew the importance of that statement. And they complained about it. And they said, we don't like that because he makes himself God. Now, they knew what Jesus meant by that. Everybody else knew what he meant about it. Now, if he is God, then it's not Jesus that's the liar. It's Billy Graham and all those other out there, others out there who said they found some other path. And unfortunately, the path that they found is not the one that leads to God. It's the one that leads to an everlasting fire of hell. The apostles said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we can't give up on this because we're talking about salvation, and there is no salvation without it. 
And so we're going to preach it, and you're going to hear it over and over and over again. We're going to be relentless about it. We're not going to give up on it, because without this, no souls can be saved. That's how important that it is. Now, just a moment ago, I spoke about Emmett Fox, and he's probably a nobody on your radar. Maybe you've never even heard of him before, but he's kind of stuck on my mind, in my mind because of that book that Zoe gave me and uh, on the Sermon on the Mount. We're studying the Sermon on the Mount, and this guy wrote this joke of a book on the subject. And I think back, now he comments on the Beatitudes because he's writing on the Sermon on the Mount, but I think about in the Beatitudes where Jesus made the statement, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You know, one of the things that Emmett Fox said about, about the Bible, he said the Bible does not contain any theology. He said that the Bible has no systematic approach to it. How in the world could you say that? How could you miss Matthew 5, verse 8? I mean, the whole Bible systematically goes about to prove Matthew 5, verse 8, and that is how you can be pure in heart. You know the answer to the question? The answer is Jesus. The pure in the heart, pure in heart are ones who have the righteousness of Christ imputed to them. Christ is their righteousness, and so they're justified with God. And that is a system that is so carefully laid out in the Bible that it goes right through step by step, stepping us all the way through it, right through every pages of Scripture, all the way from our election in God before the foundation of the world, our predestination, the regeneration, the effectual calling, the repentance, the faith, and then it ends up with the final glorification of this body. The Bible leads us right through all of that. Some have called it a scarlet thread of redemption, and it weaves its way all the way through every page of the Bible. And all of it is about who? It's about Jesus. Jesus is God. And if you're going to walk that path today, you have to believe Jesus is deity, and if you don't believe it, all is lost. So we're talking about things here that are non-negotiable. You can't do without this. You can't be sloppy about it. And if you are, you need to tighten up on it. Or, friend, you're going to fail of the grace of God. Now, I'm going to close with those two. Uh, These are old paths, that old path of declaration where we talk about the inspiration and and the infallibility of the Scriptures, Scripture plenarily inspired, the total revelation of God, and then also the path of deity. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what we have to do is keep Berean on those old paths, not give up on this. Let's stand in the good way, as the Word of God says, and when we do, we shall find rest for our souls. Don't ever think that we're doing this for nothing, that we come to church and maybe there's just a few of us here, but I remind you that 12 men changed the whole world, didn't they? And we can do it too if we stick to the old paths and preach the word as God says. We just put it out there, and then God does with it what he will, because we don't have any say about that. Just do what God said for us to do, and let him take over from there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for time spent in your word tonight. We just praise your name, Lord, for the truth that you've given us from your word. And Lord, we, we don't know these things because... We're better than any other people. We don't know them because we're smarter than anybody else. We don't know them because we're more astute at the things of the world or the things of God either. We only know these things because your Holy Spirit has revealed them to our hearts. And so we have an objective belief in an objective God. And Lord, we just pray that you'd help us to remember that and to stick by the things that you said because there is no other way that we want to walk. Bless our people and we thank you for attention tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.